Welcome to the Standardized Patients Podcast. I am your host and fitness lover, Katie Culligan. In this podcast, we dive into the who, what, why, and huh of this quirky industry that no one's ever heard of. So what's a standardized patient, you may ask? Well, a standardized patient is a... Person, usually an actor, who is hired to give healthcare professionals and students of all kinds the opportunity to talk to a real person and get feedback from a patient perspective. Awesome. Thank you. And that voice you just heard is Aviva Pressman, our guest today. Hello. Uh, Yes. Welcome, Aviva. (laughs) So glad to have you. So Aviva has been working as a standardized patient, standardized patient trainer and physical exam training associate, lactation skills training associate, and gynecological training associate for over 10 years. The day she had to have her taint painted with scars by a professional makeup artist was the day she knew she'd made it in this business. <laughs> true story. That is, that's true. Uh, it's hard to, hard to know until you know. Yeah. I, ha- I had my own dressing room for that. It was so fancy. Well, welcome. We're glad to have you here. Um, Thank you. And I'm so grateful that you are zooming in with us from the West Coast today. Uh, Aviva is zooming from LA. So Mm -hmm. basically, I've known Aviva for over 10 years now. Uh Uh, We did a show together back in 2012 called Five Little Monkeys at Adventure Theater. And it was a world premiere at the time. And we had a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. The whole set was Jungle Gym. And we just swung on the jungle gyms and climbed around like monkeys. We had, we, yeah, we had a good yeah. time. We scared some kids, I think. Um, sometimes, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, but, but uh, they liked we had it. a good time. Yeah, yeah. So, can you, um, real, real quick, just to go back to your bio? Um, yes. Can you tell us the story about like the whole, um, you know, painting with scars uh, by a professional makeup artist? <laughs> sure. So I got hired because I do the GTA work, which I know you've talked about before on this podcast. Mm-hmm. One of the schools in the LA area makes videos for their pelvic physical therapy program. And so they hired, they wanted somebody who was younger and had not had a child and someone who was older and who had had children to do some videos on different pelvic PT methods. And so they used me as the younger pelvic model, but some of the segments, they wanted me to have some pathology going on. One of those segments, they wanted it to look like I had had a tear of some kind. I was like just laying there in my dressing room and they brought in a makeup artist who I'm sure had also never done that. And she had like a picture of a scar and she just painted it on my perineum. Wow. Yeah. Did you know that that was going to happen before they warned you? Yes. And The thing is, when your vagina's in play so much at work, it's like, yeah, I don't care. You know, they're like, is it okay if we do this? Like, yes. Do you know how many people have seen my cervix? Paint away. I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. Have you done that since? That particular? No, because those are videos. They're going to use them for a few years until there's new research and new techniques that they have to put in there. Wow. And have you seen the videos? I have not, but I made a buttload of money doing them. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad you were compensated well. Absolutely. Wonderful to hear as it should be. Yes. Um, (laughs) For those of you that I know we have talked about GTA work, but that is genital urinary training associate, but GTA stands for a gynecological training associate, which is 
just the pelvic and breast or chest exam, not the penis and rectal exam. Thank you. So, I actually yes. didn't realize the difference and now yeah. I do. So thank you yeah. for clarifying that. No okay, problem. So you just do the... I don't do right. the penis exam because I, I don't have the parts, but... Uh, <laughs> That, that would be a company makeup work. artist coming in, I think. Yes, that would be a much longer makeup job. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we have a couple things that we're going to talk about today. Your topic is kind of transitioning from different role-playing to SP work. You started on the East Coast working with military role-playing, and then you yes. moved to the West Coast and started standardized patient work. So tell us just yes. a little bit about that. So... The military role playing was very interesting because it's all emergency. You're not coming in with a headache, right? So, and they have military money. So they have these amazing latex injuries that you put on. And then you have a camelback that's full of fake blood and you can control when the blood is flowing and some of the injuries ooze and some of them squirt and they're, they're amazing, but it's not standardized like at all. They just oh. give you the they give you the injury and they're like, yeah, so that would hurt. They give you almost no information. And then they put you in either barracks that look like a bomb has exploded or like a Humvee. So they have these fake areas. They pump smoke in and loud noises so that it's like there's just been an emergency. And then they just go like, go, go, go. And everyone comes in and they're supposed to stabilize you, pack your wounds, tourniquet you, keep you awake and get you to the, the fake helicopter pad. Wow. Yeah. And it's really fun. I bet. You're covered in blood at the end of the day. <laughs> but it's also, you get very little time to give feedback, mm. right? You can kind of say one or two things, sort of to the whole group. And there's multiple people working on you usually. Oh. But they're not always receptive to what we have to say. Oh, okay. Because a lot of them have already been out fighting somewhere. So it's kind of like, Hey, if you, I would have felt more comfortable if you had done X, Y, Z. And they're sort of like, you know what it's like, man. And it's like, yeah, I don't, I'm sorry. I could just tell you how I felt. And that's how I felt. Yeah. Uh, that's really interesting. It's such a different yeah. perspective. Did you find that you got a lot of that pushback when you did feedback for the military? Definitely got some of it. Yeah. I also had an injury where I almost always died, which is very in line with that actual injury in real life. It was basically entry wound, inner thigh, exit wound, butt. So like a bullet had gone into my thigh and out of my butt. And if you picture that, it's a common injury because if you're driving and someone is shooting from above, it's likely to hit your lap. Wow. But here's the thing. About nine, at least at the time I was doing this 10 years ago, 80 to 90% of men who get that injury recover fully and 80 to 90% of women would die because most of the people in the field are men and they're so uncomfortable being in that part of the body if it's not another man. Oh, wow. You know, if it's a woman or if it's a non-binary person, they don't know what to expect. And so they usually die. And it would be the same thing with me. They would forget there was an exit wound or they would, they would just like hesitate too much because there's... Yeah, there's a much, there's a, just such a different culture in the military. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. fascinating. Isn't and that so, so interesting? Really important to have somebody role-playing that so you can give them feedback mm -hmm. on that. Yeah, so hopefully when that happens in the field, they don't let that person die. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. life or death. And and I guess, you know, with standard education work, it certainly can be life or death too. Mm-hmm. Sometimes sometimes in a less urgent way, but sometimes it can be with a heart attack or something yeah. like that. I guess what I'm thinking now is with standardized patient work, usually the med students have not had the opportunity to be in the field, quote unquote. And mm-hmm. so they're not going to typically push back to be like, well, no, you don't know what it's like because I've mm-hmm. been out there and blah, blah, blah. Whereas the with the military, it sounds like they have, and they have some really <laughs> intense experiences that they're going to draw from and um, maybe not be as receptive. So did yeah. you find that that was the case from when you did transition to standardized patient work? For the most part, yes. I do think that there's sometimes something where, where students go into clinic and they see older doctors who are doing things that are not the latest research or not the best practices, but they've been doing it so long that they they get lax or they know when they don't need to do the best practices. And then the students come back and they go, well, no one really does it like that. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Things like listening to the heart over the gown. Like, well, well, my preceptor and like the people at the clinic always do that. OK, well, when you do it, can you hear what you need to hear? Well, no. Well, yeah, because you're new at it. It's okay. You don't have to do it like that. You can learn the best way to do it and know that you may not always need the best way. Sometimes you need the faster way. Mm-hmm. But but I do feel like sometimes there's there's that kind of pushback. Yeah, um, that totally makes sense. Thanks for yeah. clarifying that. Yeah, but definitely not as like weird and angry and uh, hyper toxic masculinity as it was with the military guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So since yeah. you've been on the West Coast, have you done any military role playing? No, I would have to drive out to R- Riverside, which is far. It's not worth it. Got so, it. Got it. Yeah, I, I looked for LA it. Driving is already tough. Uh, let it alone can be. To drive farther out. So what brought you to SP work once you were in LA? Well, I really enjoyed doing the military role play, but also I met a lot of people when I was living in DC who did standardized patient work. And it always sounded so interesting to me that when I was looking for what I was going to do in LA, it was one of the things I looked for. And I found something fairly quickly. I got hired at the first place that I auditioned. And then I I imagine it's the same thing in DC where you get hired one place and then people see you and they meet you and they recommend you at another school or they tell you when auditions are. And and then everyone kind of works everywhere. Yeah. And and it was, it was really like that. I was, I hadn't had a day job before that I really loved. I had only had day jobs that were day jobs. Yeah. And this was, this was like, oh, okay, this is something that utilizes the kinds of skills that I have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was very exciting to find it. And so once you did, do you find that you do it on a weekly basis now, daily, monthly? It depends. It, well, it depends on what other work I have, because I do try and prioritize theater work first. Mm -hmm. But this week, I think I'm working four days and that's not uncommon for me doing, doing standardized patient work. Sometimes I work every day of a week. Sometimes I don't work at all in a week. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it really depends. And it also depends on how you define standardized patient work. Like is, is a GTA a standardized patient mm-hmm. or are we just weird teachers, <laughs> you know, cause we're not acting. We're not, we're not standardizing any kind of patient experience. We're teaching you how to do the exam and on our very specific body and all of that. So it is a different kind of experience. And not everyone who does that job is an actor. But mm-hmm. to be a standardized patient, you really have to be. Which leads me to my next question. Being in the L.A. area, 
mm-hmm. we all know is full of many actors, yes. even more than the DC area, I'm sure. Yeah. How is that environment as a standardized patient and as an actor, you know, in that world? It's amazing. It's so great. I think, yes, there are people in LA who come here because they want to be like Paris Hilton or someone told them they were beautiful. So they came here and they don't really care about the craft or some of those LA stereotypes. It's not that those people don't exist, but there are a lot of other people too. Yeah. And I think, you know, as a standardized patient, you have to be an empathetic person. You have to be able to get, give feedback that is kind and inspiring rather than hurtful and notice these human behavior things. And so I think it draws a certain kind of person. Mm -hmm. And so most of us get along really, really well. I'm really close with a lot of the other standardized patients. That's wonderful to hear. Yeah. Does it feel like its own community within the LA acting scene, if you will? Absolutely. Absolutely. It really does. There's some of the people I would never have met, Mm. right? Because I do so much theater And that's different than the people who do so much TV and film, Mm -hmm. but we come together on this. So it is kind of its own, its own little thing and actor types that I wouldn't normally work with that much. Sure. Yeah. I don't, you don't work with people who are the same type as you Mm -hmm. all that often on stage. Cause especially as women, there's usually like one role for a character woman, right? But then I go to standardized patient world and I'm like, oh, hey, it's a bunch of weird 30 somethings and we're all going to have fake bowel problems together. And so, yeah, it's kind of a different vibe. That's really cool. I love that. Thanks for sharing. Now, one thing I wanted to touch base on, and this was in your bio, Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned that you've worked as a lactation skills training associate. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So that is a title that I was in the room when it was made up (laughs) because it never really existed before. I worked for a company that has since gone out of business and I will explain why, which is very upsetting. I just had to avoid swearing because it's that upsetting. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but it was a lactation skills program and we we were standardized patients and we did different kinds of things that had to do with lactation care, prenatal care, uh, postnatal care. It was wonderful and it was all virtual. And But the thing is, education for lactation is terrible. Mm-hmm. Medical students don't learn almost anything about it. Even nursing students, even labor and delivery nurses know very little about it. I've done a lactation case at a nursing school and they basically said, okay, we're going to put the baby on your chest and then he's going to come over here and pop, he's on the nipple. And that can happen with some babies. Sure. But what happens when you go home and you can't do it yourself and you've been given no skills? So we worked with people studying to be lactation consultants, studying to be doctors, nurses, everything. But what we found was because they're not getting the knowledge in school, we needed to also teach them everything. Because you normally standardize patients. We're not doing the teaching of how to do every physical exam necessarily. They're learning it elsewhere. They're practicing on us. We're giving tips and tricks and helping them through it. Mm-hmm. But this was, oh, okay, they're not getting this anywhere else. We have to be the ones to teach it. Wow. So, yeah. So I was on the standardized patient side of things, the person who helped develop the program where we taught all of those exercises. And so it was things like how to latch a baby and what kinds of massage you can do for different problems, how to put together a breast pump. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Just all of those things that people don't learn and their doctors often cannot help them with. 
So we were teaching all these healthcare students how to do those things. Wow. Um, it was amazing. And here's why they went out of business. Okay. So, I mean, it's complicated. There's always one, more than one reason. But one of the big things was that the people who certify lactation consultants or IBCLCs, the International Board Certified Lactation Consultant, which is the highest level of certification. Okay. The people who do that said the pandemic is almost over. So you can't do mentorship that is virtual and you can't do clinical hours with standardized patients. Hmm. Which I... I mean, I understand because a clinical hour is supposed to be with a real patient, not a standardized patient. However, mm-hmm. couple things. <laughs> <laughs> One, we trained the only IBCLC that exists in Pakistan. She was certified through us. And now the only person who can certify other IBCLCs in Pakistan is her oh. because they won't let you do it virtually. So there's a huge accessibility issue Yeah, that we were the only company providing anything to fix that. And mm. right. And so, and and then they said, you know, you can't do it anymore. So that's an issue. And then also so many of the students that I saw virtually would say, well, I know how to latch a baby in person. Mm-hmm. And it's true, but it's just like I was talking about at that nursing school. They don't know how to teach a patient how to do it themselves mm-hmm. and doing it virtually. They had to learn how to actually explain it yeah. in a way that a patient could do it. So Yes, they should also see real patients, but it, it was, so, I felt like it was so useful. And a lot of them, because they were already working nurses, working doctors, many times they would say, well, a patient's never told me I was unempathetic. Well, yeah, your patient's not going to do that. They're just not going to come back to you. That's why this is useful yep. is because you have someone to say, Hey, when you phrase it like this, it made me feel like you didn't care about me or whatever. Totally. Wow. I mean, yeah. that's, I'm just, I'm sitting here in awe because I, as a new mom, you know, I I had a baby in the last year and I was so fortunate to work with lactation consultants in the hospital. And Mm -hmm. I have been very fortunate to have a good experience with that. Great. But I do know a lot of people who have not. Yeah. Various reasons. And Mm -hmm. I also, even with the different lactation consultants that I was able to see, they would come by my room when I was in the hospital after giving birth. I still saw various different styles mm-hmm. of how they communicated. And while all were good, somewhere I was like, oh, I could, the person from yesterday, like, really <laughs> loved her, loved the way that she spoke or whatever. So I just, it's so pertinent to me right now that it really hits home. And it, it's just, it's heartbreaking to hear that this thing I didn't know existed did exist. And now it's gone. I know. It was around for a couple of years. And yeah, now it's gone. But I actually yesterday got to implement it. I A couple of friends of mine had an infant recently. And I gave them a lactation lesson before he was born. But it's always different when you have a real baby. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> like, <sure>. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. breastfeeding is like breast and chest feeding are it's a as much it's an art and it's a science, right? Like there's the things that are helpful for most people and the ways that we say this is a good way to do it. And then there's some people who are like, it just doesn't work for me like that. It works for me like this. Great. You're not in pain. Your baby's gaining weight. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Who cares if it's by the book? But they were really struggling and she's been in pain since the baby was born. And I went over and I, I'm not a doctor. I, ha- I was expecting to go over there and be the expert on who she should see. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I would know yeah. if this is a pediatrician problem or a lactation consultant problem. And I was able to go, 
oh, okay, I see what's happening here. We're going to change your body position. We're going to change the way you're holding his head. And it, it took like three minutes and she was like, oh my God, it's not painful anymore. Oh, it's working. Whoa. Yeah. Incredible. Because there are such... You don't have to be a clinician to learn these step-by-step things mm-hmm. that I was so lucky to work with a mammary gland biologist and dietitian consultants and pediatricians and a whole team of experts. Wow. And I was the layperson in the room, just like soaking up knowledge for a couple of years. When now that the company has dissolved or is gone, mm-hmm. do you think that'll come back at all? I don't think that that company will come back in the way that it existed, but I am definitely curious to see what the... CEO of that company is going to do in the future because she was amazing and also invented these uh, lactation simulation models. Mm. So we would wear these fake breasts that actually lactated. You could actually pump them up to be engorged. Whoa. That she invented and sold to all these schools around the country. I, I still have one pair of my breasts and I still have a lactation baby. It looks a little worse for wear, but but it's still awesome. And she was part of inventing all of it. That's really, really incredible. Yeah. Oh, I sure hope that more programs come from that. I really do. Or at least so you know, that inspires other people. That's yeah. just really, really cool. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. So, yeah. you know, we've talked about a lot of things already, but I just want to, you know, touch base. Is there anything in particular that struck you as like, really funny or interesting with any of your experiences, whether it was military role-playing or with the lactation or just being out in LA. In the oh, there's always funny moments as a GTA when someone sees a cervix for the first time and they're like, oh my gosh, there it is. Oh, oh I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But oh my God, it's beautiful. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, I have a beautiful cervix. So that it's like a weird <laughs> thing to be proud of. So there's moments like that, but I never want to make fun of the students because they're learning. But I think every one of us had a day in school when we said something really boneheaded. And it's not any different for the little doctor babies, right? Like they're also going to have those days and they're nervous. And I worked with one particular company. They specifically were working with people who are already doctors in other countries who wanted to come here and take the USMLE. So it was like a two week crash course and they were learning culture and they were learning language and how we do the physical exams and how we do draping and all these things that are so different. Sure. And we had some amazing misunderstandings. Like I played this one case where the doorway information. So the only information that they had coming in was that the patient had said that they have a really annoying discharge. And that, that was in quotes, like that was written down by the nurse. Patient says they have a really annoying discharge. And the two best ways that someone came in on that were one guy was really nervous and he came in and he said, my nurse tells me you are here because of a vagina. (laughs) (laughs) Which like, is not wrong, but it's weird. Um, Respond to that. I was like, um, I mean, I, yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was a pretty matter of fact patient. So I was like, ah, sure. And then the other one was this guy who he came in and he was like, came in real confident, sat down and he was like, my nurse tells me you were very annoying about your discharge. Oh. <laughs> 
was like so close. And yet that's fantastic. What a great way to start this off so badly. (laughs) And how did you respond to that? I think I said, oh, I wasn't sorry. I wasn't trying to be annoying. I just I was trying to answer her questions, honestly. Like, I didn't, I did not know oh. what to do. I, were you able to give these uh, particular students feedback at all? I was. Oh, wow. Okay, good, good. Yeah. I'm so assuming those came up. Useful. Yeah, we talked about it. We talked about it. I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was, we definitely discussed those opening lines and how effective they were or were not. Right, right. It's uh, yeah. the interpretation of mm-hmm. those lines from these med students. Yes, exactly. Incredible. Exactly. Oh, I love hearing these stories. Oh, so, good. so good. So good. I also once had a guy who <laughs> I was playing ectopic pregnancy, very high pain case, mm-hmm. laying down, groaning, not happy. And he came in and he was like, <gasps> oh my goodness, you look like you're in pain. And I was like, yeah, I am. And he was like, let's get you some pain meds. And he like opened the door and put his head out into the hallway where there's no one but like the proctor, right? And he (laughs) he yells to an imaginary nurse and is like, nurse, we need to get this patient some pain meds stat. And then came in and then like a few minutes later, he was like, I don't know where that nurse is with the pain meds. And it was just like, he was doing this, dramatic performance and I just I like didn't even know what to do with it (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing now were you able to give him feedback uh no I was not it was an OSCE so it was just a checklist Mm -hmm. so I couldn't I couldn't and I'm not even sure what I would have said to him like (laughs) yeah you know other than just like hey your your drama like, yeah, you. it's like he had an audition for, you know, Grey's Anatomy or ER or whatever the yeah. latest, uh, popular medical drama he was getting ready for. Right. Yeah. I was like, do you know where you are? Like, do you know what we're doing? What's happening right now? Oh, that was a fun one. <laughs> I, I love that so much. I, I wonder if maybe the student just thought, well, there's an actor in there. So I'm going to, you know, pump up my acting as well. And we'll just really just buy into this. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't, I don't know. I I could not get into his head because he was also like a third year. It wasn't his first Oscar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I had, I wondered like, does he always go in with that energy Mm -hmm. that no one's ever talked to him about it? Or was he trying something? Oh, well. Gosh. Yeah. But he, yeah, that was a while ago. He's probably a doctor now. So He's probably a doctor, a very per, perhaps overdramatic doctor. <laughs> Could be. Or maybe he was just trying something, like you said. Yeah. Do you ever think about that? Like the students you had that did the worst and you're like, oh man, I'll bet they're, I'll bet they're a doctor now. Like, do they yeah. still walk into the room and say, my nurse tells me you're here because of a vagina? Like, <laughs> I hope they took my feedback. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, there have been some times where, you know, you, you have a student and you're like, okay, they're obviously smart. Maybe their people skills are not yeah. where they need to be, uh, even at, you know, let's say level one or, you know, the fourth yeah. year or whatever. And you just kind of were like, maybe they'll go into research. Mm-hmm. Research. Uh... Yeah. Research if they're really awkward. Surgery if they're not very nice. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> because it takes a certain amount of like not caring to be able to like, I can cut open your skin and be steady. 
Right. That's very true. Yeah. Like you have to be a little bit of a sociopath, but that's good. You should be if to yeah. be a surgeon. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you had moments that have been particularly meaningful or mm. emotional during this time of, again, with any of these topics? Yeah, I definitely think when you get to work with the same students over and over again and you see them grow, that's one of the most meaningful things to me, for sure. You see someone in their first year and they can barely hold a conversation. And then you see them even by their second year in the in the really good programs where they get to work with us a lot mm -hmm. and they do so much better. And it, people say you can't teach empathy, but you really can. It really is a teachable skill. Mm -hmm. So being able to teach the students that I think is very, very meaningful. Sometimes the most meaningful things are when they really mess something up mm -hmm. and you get to be the person who guides them through that moment mm -hmm. so that they don't feel terrible about it. And you know that when they see a patient, they're not going to do that stupid thing again. I find that to be very meaningful. But I had somebody recently that really stuck with me. It was a case where I was playing somebody who wasn't sure of my gender. So I was like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm non-binary, but I'm not sure. And I don't want to tell people that I am. And then it turns out I'm not. And I seem like I'm just dramatic, but I don't know how to figure out if I am. Mm -hmm. And what he said was, you know, sometimes the way you figure out something is just by trying it on. And mm -hmm. you could wear a binder at home or around a friend, or you can try a certain pronoun and just see how it feels to you. And people change all the time. People change throughout their entire lives in so many different ways. And there's no reason that this has to always be the same for you. And there's no reason you can't explain it to other people, just like you explained it to me and just mm -hmm. say, you're trying it and you're figuring it out. And that affected me so much that I started going by she, they, because I've always thought, I've always been like, how do you know if you're non-binary? I don't know. I don't have body dysmorphia, but I, I do feel kind of a connection with that. And literally I was like, oh no, I guess he's so right. Like, I, I think I have to do that now. Like me actually. So yeah. from that one encounter, like a day of it, a week of it. I was, I mean, I was just doing the one for a day, but it was that one guy who said that one thing about like, just try it on where I was like, that is exactly what I need to do. I need to just try it on. That's so cool. Yeah. And I wonder student, like if they dealt with that before, or it was just a, a really empathetic student. So I know like in general, I try and I'm trying not to name schools that I work for, sure. but I am going to name one Kaiser Permanente School of Medicine just opened a couple years ago, but they have all that Kaiser money, <laughs> you know, and they have all of these amazing specialists around. And so their first five years of graduating classes are all tuition free. Wow. Yeah. And they give them money for living and everything. So they have these amazing crops of students because everybody wants to go there and they can pick them completely based on merits. And, and they really go for students, not just that are smart, but students that have these visions for changing the world. It's the number one LGBT medical school. Like it's it's the gayest medical school that exists. Uh -huh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So and they work with standardized patients a ton. Ton. Like oh. from their first week, they're working with us. Wow. Yeah. We work as PETAs. So we're helping them through physical exams. We do all kinds of formative events and practice events. And then also OSCEs. So they work with us so much that I have some of my most meaningful conversations with students at that school, for sure. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, you know, people sometimes talk about 
how they have a, let's say, physical ailment. And let's say the student doctor like picks it up like, oh, uh, yeah. I think your blood pressure is a little high. And yeah. then they go to the doctor and they're like, oh, it is. And then they can do something about it. Whereas yeah. you had more of an emotional moment with the student that changed you in a way. Yeah. It, made, it was like an aha moment, just a moment where you could look at things a different way and has affected you since. So that's really cool. Right. Yeah. I think sometimes every once in a while you get a more jaded student who's like, well, it's not a real patient. And, but it's like, we are, even if we're not actually that patient, we are real people. Yeah. And the things they do and the ways they treat us, it still affects us. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. such a good point. Like, yeah, we all have to suspend our disbelief for these scenarios, but we're still humans. And technically, we are still patients to other doctors as well. And it's so weird going to the doctor for real now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like such a good patient in some ways and then terrible in others because I'll come in when I broke my toe and I went in and I was like, so I broke it this morning. The pain has been getting worse. The second toe is hurts more at rest. The third one hurts more on palpation. Like I was like, just, I just gave them their everything they needed to know. And they were like, all right, like, let's get your next ray. Thank you. (laughs) Right. Do you tell them what you do typically when you go to the doctor? Like, do you tell them your standardized patient or a A primary care physician knows? I'll tell them if it comes up. I mostly just try to, I don't want to be like a jerk who's like, oh, no, 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 I know all this. But I also don't want to waste their time yeah, or mine when it's like, like, hey, you don't need to do that exam on me. It's normal. <laughs> do you know oh, what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Like Have I don't. Oh, there was one time that I did a visit and they're like, I'm going to do these. And I was like, I already did that on myself. And here's what I found. If you want to do it again. They were like, mm, maybe I should do it again because you're not a doctor. And they were like, okay, yeah, no, that's exactly what I found. Um, But I didn't blame them because who am I? But sometimes I'm like, yeah, you know, I've had that test done on me like 40 times this week. And like, it's, Mm. I think it's fine. For myself, I always have that moment of like, should I tell my, because I'm a pretty friendly person. Yeah. to Talk to people and I like to talk to doctors and usually some stuff comes up. But sure. I don't always bring up, in fact, most of the time, I don't bring up that I'm a standardized patient. Now I'm a little more likely to because of this podcast. So I can be like, sure, sure. check out the podcast. You know, I I do think it's kind of that interesting thing. Like, like I, I want it to come up, but I also don't want to be like, so, you know, right. <laughs> I have <some> feedback. <laughs> well, and sometimes I don't realize that I'm being weird. You know, mm-hmm. like my primary care physician closed the curtain and was like, okay, put on the gown. We'll do your pelvic exam. And so I like put on my gown and I took out the stirrups and I set them up and I set up the table and she started laughing. And I was like, oh, right. Yeah, that part's not my job. Like, oh, <laughs> she's not used to somebody, somebody setting up the exam table because like, why would you? But I'm just, that's what I do when I'm getting a pelvic exam. I was getting physical therapy. Again, I didn't realize because it was a place where they had medical students who were working there and who were doing their rotations. So I had, they were teaching something on me. Like the physical therapist did something with my arm and was doing that back and forth. And then the student did it. And I was just like, okay, I can tell the difference in what he was doing from what you were doing. Do you mind if I tell you? And she was like, great. And I told her and I was like, yeah, he's giving more pressure here. And it feels. And so then they started having students work on me all the time. (laughs) I didn't feel like I was even going into standardized patient brain. Mm -hmm. I just felt like, oh, there's a person here who needs help. And this is a thing I know. I don't know. Right. Yeah. It didn't seem weird to me. 
until they reacted to it and were like, this is amazing. Second I wish all my patients could tell us this. Yeah, that's yeah. Really, really cool. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. Your stories are just wonderful. And I bet plenty of people could relate to that who are standardized patients. So <laughs> right. Thank you again for being here. Really appreciate you. Thanks being for having me. Guest. Where can we find you, Aviva? My website is avivapressman.com. I'm also the only Aviva Pressman in the world. So if you Google me like that's who you're going to get. Oh. Yeah. And you can buy my one woman show deadlift on my website if you want to. I'm not great at Instagram, but it's Aviva is a palindrome Instagram handle. Thank you so much. I loved chatting with you tonight. It was so fun to catch up. And I know, it was nice to see you. All of your experiences. (laughs) So fun. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. And to everybody else, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at the Standardized Patients Podcast. Thanks to Randy Sharp for the use of our theme song, Mr. Garita. And you can find their music at Artlist. Thank you, as always, to Catherine Babalak for the -the behind-the-scenes work, audio post-production, and cover art. And that is our show. See you next time as we encounter more standards of standardized patient work.